You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Unlimited, with a new weekly topic to give you a clear vision of God and to start living an unlimited life. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. There are only two limiting factors in your life. And when I talk about these, I know people get really excited. I know that it really animates you because you love to hear this. And you need to hear this. In the course of life, you're going to go through all kinds of things. You're going to meet all kinds of people. You're going to go through circumstances. Some of them you anticipate. Others you don't anticipate. So we're either acting on life or life is acting on us, and then we have to interact with all the things that are happening, all of the people, all the circumstances. But at the end of the day, there are only two limiting factors in your entire life. There are not three, there are not four, there are only two. And these are the limitations that God places on you and the limitations that you place on yourself. You might say to yourself, well, what if my boss or my spouse or my children or a health issue? No, 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 no. Those things are things that happen for sure. But then what you do in reaction to those will determine whether or not you're limited or whether or not you're able to take a curveball and hit it out of the park. Because life is what happens to us when we're making other plans. But you need to really, really, really understand that there are only two limiting factors in all of your life. So everything that's happening to you, you need to be able to discern. Is this a limitation from God? Or is this a limitation that's self-imposed? Now, when we talk about living a no-limit life, or when we talk about living an unlimited life, we don't stop and think that it's not just a matter of the things that you don't do that could limit you. I'm not interested in, in going into this territory. I'm not interested in making this decision. I'm not interested in making a change. It's also the things that you choose not to do. So on one hand, it's the things that you do that can limit you or unleash you. It's the things that you don't do, that you don't decide, that can limit you from being unlimited in what you produce with your life and who you become on the journey of what you're producing. Because it's not just important that you do things. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. It's not just important that you do things. What's really important is the person that you become on the journey toward what you want to accomplish. That's really what's important. It's not just the achievement of goals. It's not just checking off a list of things that you've accomplished. It's the person that you become on the way to achieving goals, to fulfilling your destiny. That's what's really important. And when I say there are only two limiting factors in your life, those placed on you by God and those placed on you by yourself, before we talk about the limitations and getting outside of the box that we put on ourselves, let's talk for a moment about the limitations that God puts on us. You know, God does place limits on your life. He does. But today we live in a society where we don't want to be told what's wrong. We want to recreate God in our own image. We want to live an unlimited life because we think that a life without limits is what really brings freedom. Actually, there are some limitations that if you cross the line, in your attempt to be unlimited, in your attempt to throw off any kind of restraint, in your attempt to throw off any kind of idea of there being absolutes, you can actually end up limiting yourself in the name of trying to be unlimited. 
When you think about the Bible, what is it? 66 books, all with unified themes that make sense by dozens of authors over hundreds of years, and yet it makes sense. There's no book like it. The Bible is such a book that we wouldn't write if we could, couldn't write if we would. It's unique among all literature, whether it's religious literature or secular literature. There's nothing that has ever been written like the Bible, nor will there ever be again, because when you think about statistically, how could you have 66 books written by dozens of authors, most of whom did not even know each other, and have unified themes? One of the things that we need to understand about the Bible is that it is a behavioral modification book. It is a behavior modification book. It is a series of do's and don'ts. Now, some of you might have a knee-jerk reaction and say, I don't like that. And you're recovering from being a human doing. If you grew up in a religious family where it was all about do's and don'ts, the do's and don'ts will never go away. They'll always be there because they're based on God's absolute truths. The real issue is how do those do's and don'ts become manifest in your life? Is it just a matter of buckling up and bearing down and trying harder in your own power and in your own strength so that you can check off now a list of do's and don'ts, forget about goals and achievements and accomplishments. Now you can delight yourself in a routine. You can delight yourself in a schedule. You can delight yourself in what you don't do and what you choose to do should really at the deepest core of who you are be an overflow of an abiding walk with God. You're supposed to walk with God and then God does an amazing work in you and to you and through you and in the overflow, you begin to love the things that you should love and to despise and hate. It, it is good to hate certain things that God hates. He hates sin. How do you know that? You just need to look at the cross. God's definitive statement, his opinion about sin. So when God places a limit on you, you might be facing something right now in your life where you cannot get the breakthrough that you really wish you could have. It might be something that God has limited. Maybe God has set boundaries for you. If you want to know what those boundaries are, look at the absolute truths that are presented in the Bible, the timeless truths. God doesn't change like people do. He's not part of a political party. He's not putting his moistened finger into the air to see which way the winds are blowing and then dispensing what he wants people to hear based on how popular it's going to be. God's not interested in a popularity contest. He's interested in a purity issue. He's interested in your purity. And so when God places a limit, when God places a barrier, when God places a you don't do this or don't pursue this or I'm not getting the breakthrough that I'd like to get, you need to take a step back and ask yourself, hmm, maybe that's a limitation that God has placed on me. And definitely, not maybe, definitely, if it is a limit that God has placed on me, you don't want to fight that. You want to embrace that. You want to embrace the limits that God has put on your life. Because when God puts a limit on you, when God limits, when God puts a boundary, when God says you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't do this, or you can't do that, it's because he wants you to go here or there or do something that is more in keeping with his agenda and more in keeping with yours. At the end of the day, God's work 
one of the chief roles of the Holy Spirit is to get you to abandon your own agenda, listen, and to take up God's agenda. And so once you make the transition and you cross over and you realize, my life is not about me. My life is not about what I want to accomplish. My life and my prayer life is not, God, would you help me? Instead, my life is about, God, would you enable me to help you? Your prayer life becomes, God, all that I have, all that I am, all that I ever hope to be is really to partner with you and to join you in what you want to accomplish on this earth in such a way that it counts for all eternity. And so your life is a, a continual, continuous, daily, moment by moment, series of decisions. Am I going to do this for myself or am I going to do this for God? Is what I'm doing or what I'm about to do, what I'm planning, what I'm scheming about, what I'm thinking about, what I'm dreaming about, is this going to advance God's agenda or is it simply going to burn in the fire of judgment? You know, the the scriptures say very clearly, you may or may not know this, the earth in its present form is going to pass away. It will be consumed with fire. That's what it says. And then there's a judgment of rewards for anybody and everybody who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, where the things that we do, whether good or bad, things in the body, they're going to be judged. And only those things that give glory to God are going to make it through that fire. Everything else is going to be consumed. Think about it as getting your biggest bale of hay. When I grew up on a farm, 26-acre farmette in New Jersey, you might think that's a contradiction, but it's true. <laughs> farmette in New Jersey, we had bales of hay. And Richard Wolf, the farmer who would deliver the hay all the time, would have an uncanny ability to come on the hottest day of the year. And we had a built-in swimming pool, and we would often happen twice on the 4th of July. 4th of July. We're swimming and we're, you know, taking an inflatable beach ball and hitting it around in the swimming pool and it's hot. You know, 4th of July, you're baking, you're baking. You got your suntan lotion on because you don't want to fry out there. You want to stay out of the pool as long as you can. You swim for a while, you get waterlogged, you come out. You know, we would spend so much time in the pool that our fingers would look like whitened prunes, all shriveled up. That kind of fun that we would have in the pool. And then we would like to barbecue and just have a great time, have a fantastic time until we would hear in the distance, (laughs) Lord, bless that man if he's still alive. We would hear in the distance the diesel tractor coming down the road and we would stop and it would get closer and closer and we would look at each other. And the excitement would just deflate from our bodies. And there was Richard Wolf coming down our road on Bickle Road into the driveway with 200 plus bales of hay that we would have to, of course, in July it rains a lot, thunder showers. You can't let the hay stay out and get wet and then bale the wet hay because then it creates a fire hazard in your hayloft. So we have to drop what we're doing, change our mindset, put on some clothes, put on some gloves, and go up into the swelteringly hot hayloft. So on a 90 plus degree day, 95, 97 degree day, that hayloft was easily over 120 degrees. And very quickly, as we would throw the bales of hay in, and the dust would circulate and our sweat would come off of our bodies. We would be as wet as we were when we got out dripping wet from the pool, but this time with sweat. 
our bodies would be covered with all the little particulates from the bales of hay. And then, of course, after we got finished with that, we would do the modern equivalent of a nesty plunge back into that swimming pool, and all those particles of hay would be floating on the surface along with all the sweat that washed off of us, and it was like a new heavens and a new earth right there. When you think about your life, many of the things that we pursue, many of the things that we're working so hard on really amount nothing more to a bale of hay in a fire that's going to consume anything and everything that really doesn't count for Jesus Christ. So when God places a limit on you, you need to be able to discern, is that a limit that God's put on me or is it a limit that I put on myself? If God's put the limit on you, you don't want to try to bust through and to get what he doesn't want you to have. You want the limitations that God has placed on you because those limitations actually create, you ready for this? I'm not sure if you're ready for this. Because with God, it's counterintuitive. When God creates a limit on your life, are you really ready for this? I'm not sure because this could change your life. Somebody, probably more than one person needs to hear this. When the God of the universe, the creator God, the one who spoke everything into existence, when he created you, with certain limitations, those limitations were not designed for you to live a limited life, but they actually were designed so that you would live an unlimited life. So when you embrace the limitations that God has placed on you, you actually, when you embrace those and when you settle into who you are, you get comfortable in your own skin, the skin that God fashioned for you. When you get comfortable with those limitations, you know what happens? You begin to live an unlimited life because you're no longer spending energy and time and resources and frustration trying to do what God didn't call you to do. So when God limits you, he's actually creating you He's actually enabling you. He's actually calling you. He's wooing you and pursuing you. He's freeing you up to be unlimited. Have you ever struggled with being frustrated with God because he wasn't doing what you thought and what you think he needed to do? Or is it just me and a couple people down here in the front? Is that, is that it? Come on now. Have you ever been frustrated? Maybe you're frustrated now. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've fasted. Maybe you've knocked. Maybe you've done what the Bible says, pray, ask, seek, knock. You've done all that stuff, and yet nothing seems to happen. If you do your part, God will do his part. But oftentimes, we don't understand what our part is. And that's why this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is so significant and so important. Of course, I wouldn't say any of that stuff and just leave you there. I want to get us into the Word of God so that you understand the context of how you can live an unlimited life. Because really, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to live within his limits so that you live without limits. God wants you to live within his limits so that you live without limits. Do you understand that? God wants you to embrace the limits that he's put on your life so that you can live without limits, especially the kind of limits you put on your own life. Think about it this way. 
If you are trying to pursue something, if you're working towards strategizing, sweating and toiling on things that God doesn't want you to do, and you think, it's, it's counterintuitive again, you think that those things are going to free you up. No, they're going to put you into bondage. They're going to limit you. When you pursue something that God did not call you to do, that God does not want you to do, it's ironic because we think, <laughs> we, we, we think this, we think that we can, we can outsmart God. We think that we know better than God. It's just baked into our DNA. It is. Or, or am I the only one who struggles with that? We do this all the time, don't we? We think that, well, I'm just going to make that happen. Or I'm just, why isn't God doing what? There might be a reason why God's not doing that. Maybe instead of focusing over here, you should be focusing over there. Maybe you should be focusing on your own surrender. Because no one who truly, truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody. So when we try to pursue something that God doesn't want us to pursue, when we're toiling and we're working and we're fretting and we're getting anxious and we're getting gray hair or losing hair, losing sleep, and we do that all because we want no limits on our lives, don't we? We want, we want no limits. We want to be free. But when we pursue things that God doesn't want us to pursue, it actually creates bondage. Because think about it, your joy can be gone, your happiness can be gone, your productivity can be gone, your health can, be, can suffer, your relationships can suffer, you begin to be snappy at people. Anybody ever been snappy at somebody? Or is it just me and these four people over here, five people over here? It's really what it comes down to, being honest and saying, Lord, what, what limits have you placed on my life that I want to embrace? Don't make it your endeavor to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. Meaning, the image that you have in your own mind for your life, you want to be a first-rate addition of the only you there will ever be. And the only way for you to be a first-rate addition of the only you there'll ever be is to get really serious about the only life you'll have this side of forever. You gotta, really, you gotta get really serious about that. And that's why this passage is so awesome. In Philippians chapter two, we turn with me in our Lord's word to Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse 12. Here's a passage of scripture that if you take it to heart and mind, it'll revolutionize your life and help you begin to live an unlimited life. You'll make a breakthrough that you otherwise would not make. You'll begin to make breakthroughs in your life that you otherwise would not experience. And those breakthroughs are strategic because as you break through barriers, as you embrace who you are, who God made you to be, as you discover who God made you to be, as you embrace the limitations that God has placed on you, you begin to be unlimited in fulfilling what God created you to fulfill. You become the person that God wants you to become. You settle into that. You get excited about that. And you begin to live by design the way God, the chief architect, designed you to live. Paul's in prison and he's writing a letter on how to live freely in Christ, how to be filled with joy and he says in verse 12 of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, Therefore, in response to everything I've just said, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good. Do all things 
with grumbling and questioning. <laughs> that, by the way, we, I'm preaching right now from the English Standard Version, but that would be the reverse Standard Version. Do all things with grumbling or questioning. It's not what it says. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. By the way, that's the same terminology that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 when it talks about an elder and deacon must be above reproach, without blemish. And so the objective that's presented here, if you want to know what God's objective for you is, a disciple when fully developed and then continuing to develop, because we never arrive and say, <laughs> Been there, done that. Now I'm just maintaining where I'm at. But the objective, the bullseye, the target that you should be aiming for is a blameless life. And those who live without blemish, those who live a blameless life, some of them qualify to be elders or deacons in a church. That's, what, that's the way that works. But whether or not you're an elder or a deacon in a church, that's not the issue. The issue is that you live as the person that God created you to be, without limits, while you embrace God's limits, and you aim for living a life that's without blemish. That you may be blameless, verse 15, and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, if that's not true today, I don't know when it was ever true, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. A little bit of a southern accent there coming out of Paul. I rejoice with y'all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of him. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So many people, so many people are pursuing only their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. If God has given you money, the money is to be used for God. If God has given you health, your health is to be used for God. If you're in the midst of your career, your career should be used for God. If you're retired, your retirement should be used for God. Whatever it is that God has given you, in your rest, in your recreation, it should be for God. Everything, all things should be for God. And this guy stood out. Timothy stood out to Paul because he was living, he was swimming in a sea of selfishness. Not his own selfishness, but the selfishness of the culture in which he lived. Aren't you glad that that's not the way our nation is? The only thing that's changed is the manifestations, the opportunities, the demonstrations of that selfishness. That's what's changed. But human nature, the selfish nature of each individual, that's unchanging. All that we have now is more choices, more opportunities to be selfish. And yet Timothy stood out. Do you stand out as somebody who is concerned about the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can that be said of you? Are you a modern day Timothy? Are you somebody where not just a leader in the church, like an Apostle Paul, but the Lord Jesus Christ can say, here's this individual. This person's not like the sea of selfishness around him, the sea of selfishness around her. This person looks out for the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what it's about. 
That's what it's about. That's what your life should be about. That's what it means to be blameless, to be focused, to be intentional about how you live. Now, I want to back the truck up here, and I want to focus on verses 12 and 13. Look with me at verses 12 and 13, because if you're not careful, you could misunderstand what Paul is saying here. And if you misunderstand Scripture, you're going to misapply Scripture. And if you misapply Scripture, you're not going to be able to walk in the freedom that God wants you to have. And here we're reminded again that it all begins in your mind. It all begins in your heart. It all begins in your mind and in your heart to have a a clear understanding of what is the truth so that you can walk in the truth. Look what he says in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul is not saying you are to work on your salvation. Pay attention, please, because you need to understand the correct interpretation of this. Paul is not saying you are to work on your salvation. He's saying you are to work out your salvation. In light of the fact that God saved you, you should live as a saved person lives. You are not trying to save yourself. Do you understand? You cannot save yourself. If you could save yourself, the cross makes no sense whatsoever. In fact, it's complete nonsense that God would send his son to suffer an amazing rejection, a brutal death in vain. If you could save yourself, don't you think God would tell you, work harder, try at it more seriously, and that's the, that's the world that the Muslims are living in, hoping that God will be merciful to them, but not having the certainty, the assurance of salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't work on our salvation, we work out our salvation having been saved, and you might not have yet given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's your opportunity. You might say, well, I grew up in church. Listen, you need to know that you know that you know that you are saved, that all of your sins have been forgiven, because once all of your sins are forgiven, then you get serious about living as a person who's forgiven. And I want you to understand Scripture interprets Scripture. Look with me at Ephesians, the book right before Philippians. Look with me at Ephesians in chapter 2. It's easy to remember. Philippians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. They're both the second chapter. I want you to understand that salvation is a gift from God. It's not something you work at. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verses 8 and going through verse 9. For by grace, undeserved favor, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What he's saying here is that you can't be a good enough person, you can't accomplish a significant enough deed or an accumulation of significant deeds that would be sufficient in God's eyes to save you. So when we get to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying save yourself. He couldn't be saying that because he'd be contradicting himself. So the Bible interprets itself. It's the best commentary on itself. You want to build your faith? Lift your Bible. You want to understand what the Bible says in one part? Keep reading. Keep reading. Be persistent. Be committed to a long obedience in the same direction of studying the Word of God, reading the the Word of God, and the Word of God will get into you, and the light bulbs will go on, the circuits will be blown, and you'll understand things about life. You'll understand things about the Bible that you otherwise would not understand. You don't understand all of it now. Of course you don't. I don't understand all of it now. Of course I can't. It's a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of maturing. But here's something I want you to understand. 
We don't work on our salvation, we work out our salvation. In light of the fact that God has saved us, we then work and live and move and breathe in light of being forgiven. And notice the imagery that Paul presents for us here. He says, work out your own salvation. You know anybody on Facebook who's trying to work out everybody else's salvation? (laughs) Yes, you do. There's people all over Facebook trying to work out everybody else's salvation. These people are someday, I don't know what's going to happen to them because their bodies must be so acidic. Acidic, yeah. You should have an alkalinized body state. Those of you who are cancer survivors know a little bit about that. Their bodies must be so acidic because as a man, woman thinks, so he or she is. You're spending so much time on Facebook, so much time criticizing, so much time bitter and spreading the poison that you're not working on your own salvation. You're so busy trying to save somebody else that you've forgotten this command of Scripture. It's not a suggestion. Paul's not saying, hey, I want to highly recommend this to you, and if you get around to it in the midst of your busy schedule, this is something you might want to consider. No, he's saying, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's what he means by this. Until your fear of God, your reverence of God gets into your body, you don't have a healthy fear of God. Until your fear of God gets into your body, fear and trembling, your fear of God is not a helpful, useful, practical, biblical fear of God. What is fear of God? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to have a healthy, biblical, God-honoring respect for the Lord of creation, the God of your redemption, whether you're already redeemed, whether you're already saved, or whether you're about to be saved and give your life to Christ. But if your fear of God that's in your mind is not making its way into your lifestyle, notice the trembling that's presented here. If your fear of God is not making its way into your lifestyle, you don't have a healthy fear of God, a reverence for God. Now, you could think that this is just passive terminology that's presented here. I need to have such a fear of God that I'm just trembling. I can't move. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm just so overcome with the awesomeness of God that I'm just sitting here. I'm just immobilized. No, that's not what a healthy fear of God will do. A healthy fear of God will get you up off of your duff and out there into the world to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ because you respect God to such a degree that your lifestyle is reflecting it. We don't work on our salvation. We work out our salvation. We live like we are really saved. We live like we really mean it. Now, in our final time together, I want to help you understand. We're going to put a ribbon on this. You're going to be able to write these things down. You're going to be able to put these into your own life and practice them for yourself. Are you ready? Because we can talk about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and we can all say, yep, 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 I know what I need to do. But until you know how to do what you know you need to do, nothing's going to change. Do you understand? People will get off on rabbit trails about this. They'll misinterpret this passage of Scripture, verse 12, Philippians 2, verse 12. They'll say, see, you got to work 
on your salvation. You got to make sure that you're saved. No, what Paul is saying, coupled with scripture, is that once you know that you're saved based on the undeserved gift of God, God has settled that issue for you based on the person and the finished works of Jesus on the cross and your faith in him. It's an undeserved gift. That's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift, meaning you didn't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to maintain it. But you need to do a lot of things to demonstrate it. We have a faulty understanding of grace these days that's led into our model of what it means to be a disciple. See, until Jesus Christ is master of your moments, you cannot and you will not live for him as Lord of your life. Boom. Until Jesus Christ is master of your moments, you cannot live for him as Lord of your life. And so, this is why what you do in the course of your morning, what you do in the course of your evening is so important. Think about it. Think about this and really let this sink down. We live in houses that were designed by architects and engineers. Some of them more elaborate than others, but every one of the houses we live in, whether it's an apartment or whether you think you own the house, but you have a mortgage. (laughs) I just made somebody feel depressed, didn't I? You think you own your house, but the bank owns it and they're just making money off of you while you're paying it off. Whether you own your house outright, whether you have a mortgage, or whether or not you live in an apartment, that place was designed by architects and engineers. Think about it. The car that you drive or the car you're about to drive most likely took months, if not years, to design by engineers so that there were safety features that had to be considered, appearance features, comfort features, functionality issues that had to be addressed. It involved engineers. It involved a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, a lot of strategizing. We drive on roads that were designed, mapped out by engineers. We go over bridges, especially this time of the year in this part of the country. So many of the bridges, I'm losing my sanctification right now, are in repair modes. So you got to take twice as long to get to where you want to get. Should I stop and pray right now? Because the bridge is being rebuilt. Designed by engineers so that the safety features, the correct weight load can go across that, that bridge so that we can get from where we are to where we want to be. July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong, the commander, and Buzz Aldrin, the pilot, did what we now look back at more than 50 years now, and we celebrate what they did being the first human beings to go to the moon. Do you think when their lunar module landed on the moon, they looked at each other and said, how on God's green earth that now looks like a blue dot, how did we get here? There were years of thinking and calculating and planning and intentionality that led these astronauts to get into a well-designed craft, a well-designed machine, so that they would end up at the exact destination they were supposed to arrive at. But think about how little time we spend designing our ideal day. Think about how little time we spend thinking about what time is the best time to go to bed at night. Why? So that I can get up in the morning 
and do what I need to do to work out my salvation, to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, to live like I mean it, to live like a saved person, so that that sets up my whole day for success in light of eternity. And then what do I do at the end of my workday? What's my workday wind down? And what's my end of the day routine so that it sets me up for a solid night of sleep? Because if you keep burning that candle at both ends, eventually both ends are going to meet and there's going to be nothing left to burn. You think about we can send a man to the moon, men to the moon, not just once, but multiple times. Now we're planning on sending men back to the moon and then to Mars. China's working diligently. The same kind of endeavors. And now it's a new type of a space race that's going on. We have houses that are designed and well thought out, cars that we drive that are well designed and thought out. We drive on roads, we go across bridges, but how little time we spend thinking about what it means to work out and to be deliberate and intentional on the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ to live like we're really saved. See, until you get serious about your ideal day, you can't live an ideal life. Think about that. If you haven't really mapped out your ideal day, how can you possibly live an ideal life? This is where if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you fall back and you punt. Listen, and you say, well, I'm just going to trust God. Trust God for what? To do what he tells you to do? It's not God's going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He tells you, and he tells me, you be responsible for working out the salvation that I gave you. Look at verse 13. Look at what it says. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God works in you, but you must work on you. God works in you, but you must work on you. You need to spend more time working on yourself than you do at work. Listen, man, I'm trying to make this so practical that you'll never be able to forget it. You need to work more on you than you do at work. You need to take where you are in life and where you're going in life and where you're going to end up very seriously with the seriousness that God, who designed you as the chief architect and overseer of your soul, with the seriousness in which God created you. God created you for a purpose. He created you that you would live an unlimited life. God created you for his pleasure. And when you delight in God, guess what? You're used in amazing ways in the overflow. But if you haven't really sat down and thought about what time should I be going to bed and stick to it, if you're not thinking about what time you're getting up in the morning and sticking to it, if you're not having conversations with that individual in your family, because there's always somebody who wants to go to bed earlier than the other person and get up earlier than the other person, and you have these conversations that are kind of half conversations, they're not really fully baked, fully processed conversations. And so you never resolve the issue. You never really stop and think, and I'm trying to give you some fodder. I'm trying to give you something to think about, something to have a conversation about when it comes to working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Your fear of God, your reverence of God needs to make its way into your lifestyle so that you're changing the way you're living so that the lordship of Jesus Christ is front and center in every area of life. It's front and center in your relationships. It's front and center in your spiritual life. It's front and center in your health and your fitness. It's front and center in your finances. It's front and center in your rest and recreation. It's front and center in your education and what you're doing with your education. Your walk with God, the fact that you're saved is so serious and so significant that you're taking God seriously and you're making adjustments in your life. Listen, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do to work out your salvation with fear and trembling is to sit down and say, what is my ideal day? What is my ideal day? What's my end of the day routine? What's my beginning of the day routine? How am I carving out time for God in quiet, in private, so that when I'm in public and I'm out and about, what God did in private is overflowing and I'm catapulted forward. I'm moving forward because if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. If you're too busy for God, you're too distracted. We all have busyness. We all have difficulty. We all have hardship. But I'm talking about the trajectory of your life. When you look back over the past month of your life, what's going to happen if nothing changes is that this coming month is going to look just like the last month. And then that month's going to add to the next month and to the next month, and that's going to become a series of years, which will be decades, which will be your life. You will not have lived as somebody who's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so absolutely, listen, don't miss this. Please pay attention to what I think the Lord wants you to hear. If you are not making decisions in your life, if you're not making decisions in your life that change where you're going, that adjust where you're going, that focus you on where you're going, you're not taking the words of the Lord as seriously, as significantly as you could and as you should in regard to working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because when you do that, when you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, your use of time begins to fall into place because time management and discipleship, are you ready for this? Time management and discipleship are inseparable until you get serious about God's use of your time, you are only toying with the lordship of Jesus Christ. You got to get serious about how you're using the time of your life because your time is your life. That's what it is. So if you will think seriously and make adjustments about your end of the day routine and your beginning of the day routine and really contemplate your own salvation, that's a great way that you can work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, something that's really worth the effort. Not in a nebulous way, I need to be scared of God. No, you need to reverence God. You need to appreciate what he's done for you to such a degree that your life now reflects it. Come on, everybody, you can do it. You can do this because I will show you. I can introduce you to secular people who are agnostics and atheists who have routines that they follow religiously even though they want nothing to do with God and religion. They follow routines religiously and they are crushing it for one reason and one reason only, fame, fortune, to get rich. 
But if you're rich in Christ, having been saved by him, you've got the greatest motivation of all. You've got the greatest individual living inside of you. The Lord God himself, the Holy Spirit being placed inside of you. So when this God who has at work within you and your determination to work out your salvation, when those things are on the same page, your whole life will begin to be unlimited. So you do it this week. You become that person that God wants you to become. You get serious about your own salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. Make the fear of God such a priority in your life that it makes its way into your body. And then yours will be an unlimited life. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.